This is Coda Radio, episode 293 from Monday, January 22nd, 2018. everyone and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two great sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris and perched on the edge of his chair, mouth smashed up to his microphone, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. This is the part where you there. I was muted. <laughs> like a pro, 293 episodes in. And we're not going to redo that intro. We're going to keep it. No, I'm just going to leave it. It's a living document of our professionalism right here. Mr. Dominic, this show is going to be better than our intro, I believe. I think today we have a show that will actually outperform our intro. What do you think? Usually we peak right I, at the intro. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, it didn't have charger this week, so I sandbagged it a little bit. Yeah, well, it's all right. It's all right. You know, you had to scramble for that mute button. Um, got some good feedback. We got some good hoops to get into. Uh, you were trying out some new tech, and uh, we're going to own up and answer Egon's tough question last week. So I'm pretty excited. Pretty good. feel like we should probably start with some feedback. We got Shane's email. You want to start there? You ready to just dive right in? Shane, come back. So uh, Shane says, guys, I hate. No, he says, uh, I've been a listener since the... Uh, uh, since the start of the show. Jeez, we still have those? That's still a thing we have? Did you know that? People still listen from the start of the show. I had no no idea. He says, I've been a listener from the start of the show, but I've really enjoyed the last few episodes. The longer format has really helped. Are we going longer? I guess we have gone a little longer. You know, maybe a little have, bit. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part was listening to Chris fantasize about the plush leather chair that Mike was sinking into. <laughs> Perhaps at this very moment, yes. I also really enjoyed the episode that includes your predictions for 2018. I think you've both been on point. Mike predicted that JavaScript will expand its reach in 2018, and developers who are already using JavaScript will continue to use it, and those of us who don't will start using it. This prophecy was recently coming true for me personally, for several other people at my job, as well as transitioning from native iOS to React Native for existing internal apps. Also, Chris made an insightful prediction about a so-called LadyTube <laughs> being integrated with all sorts of other products in 2018. It seems like an obvious next step now that you've mentioned it, but I'd never thought about it. And then the rant about the iMac Pro thinness revealed some of Mike's best rants. I agree that Apple should be less focused on the design of their Pro products, but they are just as much a design company as they are a tech company. They wouldn't know how to market a product that was big and fat. <laughs> like I've heard you guys are getting. <laughs> wow, that's... Yeah, he wants us to play. The, what song is? I mean, you remember? I, we had a new song, but I don't think I bookmarked it. I remember. It's the uh, the fan made one from YouTube where I apparently I mispronounced phenomenon. Like, damn it! I did it again. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. that. I don't know if I saved it though. I should have. I, I wonder if it's. I, I what I should have done is I should have tossed it in the Coda Radio soundboard, but I don't know if I did. I might be a bad so person. This is this is how we'll learn how, like, trolly the chat room is today. See if they have it. See if yeah, they can if find they, it. In real time, link it to you. Yeah. yeah. I do have uh, something that I've been meaning to roll out at some point. Uh, it's totally unrelated. Uh, but it is the uh, 1985 KFC Chef's Cooking Guide. But uh, I don't think that's appropriate for this show. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's that's the sound clip I have right now. I don't know why I have that sound clip, but uh, I've got a lot. Of, I've got a lot of weird random stuff. He's a jackass. But I don't think I have. Uh, I don't think I have that clip at the handy. <laughs> that was a good email. I feel like you basically overviewed some of our predictions for us, so our work will be easier later on in the show. Uh, so thank you, Shane. Uh, thanks for uh, being very complimentary and saying that we're very smart and insightful. I, I really appreciate an email like that. <laughs> All right, so Infergo may be, uh, or a.k.a. Bart, may be onto something with his email about microservices from last week's. He says, hello, Chris and Mike. Uh, thanks for the awesome podcast. I enjoy Coda Radio. In episode 292, Mike talked about his mythical MacBook hipster working with microservices, mentioning that sometimes a giant monolith is just the way to go. I recently started a new job at a small financial startup, and now I'm working on a giant, and I mean giant, monolith. And it started trying to push, uh, and started trying to push working towards a REST API. First, to work with an internal API, and then slowly making it external so customers can then start using it. I'm very much opposed to using monolith, since I think it makes writing bad code too attractive. My current code base has some terrible anti-patterns and very bad practices, which I commonly, which I commonly see in monolith. But this happens less when I work with API code bases. We are so bound to just our framework, Symphony in their case, which makes using front-end frameworks less accessible, effectively slowing down development. Which... <laughs> yeah, that's what a framework's supposed to do. My question with all of this is, when would a monolith actually be useful? The way I see it, it's the back-end framework that can be used to create endpoints, after which a front-end framework can be used to create a nice interface, leveraging all the benefits available from both frameworks. However, with only a Django or Rails or Symfony, you're kind of stuck just with that, right? I hope my question is clear. Keep up the great shows. Bart, a.k.a. Infergo, in the IRC. So this is an interesting point. His core question is, when is a monolith really, really all that useful? We kind of, I guess, came across last week as really kind of crappy on microservices a bit or seeming, oh, this is a fad that's going to die. Although I don't really think that is truly how we feel. No, I don't think that's how we feel. I mean, I I think like any other good new methodology, I'm going to use that word, but it doesn't feel exactly right. Uh, microservices got a bit too hyped, right? So my my direct answer to the question would be monoliths make a lot of sense when your application is just one application um, and it's not that big, right? So so uh-huh. yes, yeah, that's the, it's like what's the line? Line of business app that isn't, you know, multi-year in the making, right? Um, a lot of things like inventory systems for businesses make sense as monoliths. Um, a lot of things like I don't know, sales tools. A lot of these, you know, apps that dark matter developers and and shops are making all the time make sense as monoliths. Things that don't make sense as monoliths are are small applications that might be utilities, right? I would think of them more as utilities that other applications will tie into in the future for your organization. Right. So I think, I think last week we talked about, I gave an example of like, if you have some sort of centralized authentication system, that you rolled your own in your organization. That is a very good uh, microservice. And I would also add that like microservices are individual services, right? They're not full-scale applications. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know in a lot of cases, monoliths still make sense. Um, Doesn't it really? Case, it just really it. depends on the job, how how large it is, and how well the uh, job has been done, how well it's documented. Those are all factors. 
It depends on the scope of the work, right? I mean, if, if you have no idea going in, you're going to make a bad decision no matter what, which unfortunately is how most software is made. Way. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. So your answer to him is it depends. It depends. We're back to our classic answers, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's almost like each situation is unique, but yes, that wouldn't make any sense, and that wouldn't be easy to brand and hype. Uh, it makes my brain hurt. Don't don't suggest that. I, I can't I can't handle it. All right. So uh, coming in on the feedback here is sort of a what is this a blog link? Yeah, you toss this in here to the doc. Coding with uh, Jason dot com uh, for programming is college worth it? So like, if you're getting into college. Or if you're getting into programming, sorry, is yeah, this was uh, this was in the subreddit. Ah, okay. So you know we've come down on the side of meh, probably not, right? Although I do have a war story where it was actually helpful, not for me because it would have been helpful. Um, there are cases where some of the lower level stuff it would be he- very helpful to kind of know, right? You know, we could talk about like bitwise logic um, down to the hardware, kind of more on the old school C route. I think the real way I would phrase this question is, is it worth going into debt for college? Ah, that's right. the right question. Could, because if you were like independently wealthy or you had a full scholarship, the answer is obviously yes, you should go to college. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like the, the, no, no one is suggesting that college will make you a worse programmer. No one, I don't think in the years we've been doing the show, either of us has ever suggested that. <laughs> what I think we, may have suggested in the past is if you're doing like mobile or web development 99% of the time going into like you know nearly $100,000 of debt might not make sense for you mm-hmm. right and associates to be more, more appropriate um, and that is the case if you go that route and don't do the classical education it, it's certainly important to on your own try to learn the let's say patterns and uh design methodologies and kind of low-level fundamentals that would have been taught in a comp sci degree. Yeah, I think you always also want to be demonstrating that you're continuing your education, even just for competitive career-advancing reasons too, right? Yeah, I mean, everything changes so fast. It's not like you're going to come out of college in in 2017 or 2018 and then in 10 years just be able to, like, rest on all you knew then. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Is there any industry like that anymore? I mean, that's the way to go. Get into that field, whatever that Congress. is. What? Congress. Yeah. What about uh, what about like certain kinds of cons- – well, no, I bet you even like certain types of yeah, – I can't, I can't really think of anything to be honest with you except I for – I can't. Yeah. Yeah, not even – I mean – Not even, even human services, bro- nothing. No, nothing. Even like looking at dev, the brief history of iOS development, right, which really isn't that old than all, is radically different now. Right. People are doing a lot of things like reactive, which, you know, in 2007 or 2008 would have been completely unthinkable. Um, yes, I yeah. remember, you know, working on the original iOS SDK 2 when it came out, which is weird that that was the original. But <laughs> the big thing people were talking about was like memory management. Right. And like how to bleed every every megabyte of memory out of these devices. Right, absolutely. Now, let's wrap it in a JavaScript framework and <laughs> go to town. Fair Let's enough. run a Safari window. Yeah, yeah. Run so, it all inside your browser. Yeah, that is yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Good point. Well, okay. So the uh, the answer there is if you're rich, yes. <laughs> How often wow. is that always the answer, though? <laughs> well, it's easier to say yes to a lot of things, I think. 
Fair enough. Well, speaking of advancing your career and keeping yourself trained, this is probably a great spot to mention Lytics Academy. This is a tool to do that. It's a tool specifically built for our audience. It's everything you need to learn and to get hands-on experience with real solutions built around Linux. Linux Academy is a full-featured training library with everything you need to learn new skills and advance your career. With self-paced, in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic, hands-on, real scenario-based labs, so you actually work with this stuff, you get actual experience before you test, and before you do anything in production. Huge. Huge. They have a course scheduler when you're busy, so... If things are just a little packed in your day, these, these, these kinds of tools can be leveraged to help you stay on track, to set goals, little reminders, and you can break things off. You can do nuggets and just do a deep dive in a single topic. You know what? This week I've only got an hour, you say to yourself. No problem. You can still take advantage of your Linux Academy subscription. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there. Sign up. Get a free seven-day trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. They have full-time human beings ready to help when you need them. This is their job. They don't build tutorials on crazy things like fixing your sink or changing your vehicle oil and then just try to throw Linux in and try to throw AWS in and try to throw a little courseware here and there on development. Oh, that should do it. That's a joke. Linux Academy is solely focused on this area. This is their full-time gig, and they're constantly making better, creating new and better study tools all the time. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Get a free seven-day trial and take a look at the courseware, the platform, get an idea of what it can do for you. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. That seemed just like the perfect spot to slip that in there when we're talking about continuing education, and you were continuing to play around with PowerShell a little bit, which this is funny because it kind of just started as like a, well, what if Microsoft did this discussion on this show ages ago? And now here we are in the first bit of 2018, and PowerShell has been released for Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. And uh, you kicked the tires a little bit, I saw on your Twitter feed, Mr. Dominic. Yeah, uh, they certainly released PowerShell for Mac and Linux. <laughs> they certainly did. Yes, they did. <laughs> why? Uh, I mean, I like PowerShell, uh, oh. but I like Bash a lot more. That's probably why there's a Windows subsystem for Linux. Uh, yeah, the WSL now. People like Bash. Yeah, that that's uh, that's a great question. Why? <laughs> it's a question I don't have a good answer to at the moment. So this is PowerShell Core, right? That's what they're calling it. And they're releasing it for CentOS, OpenSUSE, Fedora, Ubuntu, macOS 10, 12, and higher. Uh, there's a Docker image for it. Arch? There's an well, – you've got to be shitting me. They, did they make an AUR entry? They made, they made an AUR entry. Incredible. This is definitely a different Microsoft. This is really something. Can you believe that? Microsoft made an AUR entry for, I mean, I don't know why that surprises me so much, but it it's just it, really is kind of shocking. It's, it's deeply weird. Yeah. Um, and why PowerShell? Like, why is this the thing they're trying to advance? Right. Like, the, the, so, 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 okay. So one of the annoyances I'm having right now is like the, the bot framework for visual, for, uh, the mic for Microsoft does not work in visual studio for Mac. Mm. So if you want to do components in, in C sharp, you basically have to, uh, you have to do it in windows. Fair enough. Right. Yet we can do PowerShell on Mac. 
I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe it's different, like the more Linux-heavy folks. But I don't know any Mac or Ubuntu users who were like, you know, Mike, I just need my PowerShell, man. Like, I've heard complaints about the odd thing from Visual Studio that people wish was in the Mac version of Visual Studio. PowerShell is not on that list. You know what I'm thinking? This is part of a really long-term strategy. So you got dot, you got .NET open source now. PowerShell is MIT licensed. PowerShell Core is out there open source now. It's up on GitHub. This goes back to something I was saying towards the end of last year, I think, when we were trying out Windows 10. Microsoft is doing – this is foundational work that pays off in five years. And this is the foundational work to, to lock Windows 10 in as the developer's platform for pretty much everything that you're not using Ubuntu or macOS for, which is productivity apps, it's automation for systems, managing existing Microsoft infrastructure, database programs, uh, all of the corporate work desktops that have applications that need to be written for them, all those dark matter developers. This is Microsoft putting the pieces in place so that Windows 10 and the Windows platform really can be the ubiquitous development platform of everything that you're not using Ubuntu and macOS for. And maybe even a few things you're using Ubuntu for. And that you, to do that, you got to have PowerShell open source. So that way, when you stray away from your Windows box for a bit, maybe you're doing a project on the Mac, you can still have all of the tools that you're used to. You can invest in this. See, that's, that's the whole thing now is if you want something that developers are truly going to utilize, you got to open source it. You've got you to put it up on GitHub. You've got you to basically lay out your, uh, your whole roadmap so that way they can trust it. I mean, look, Apple even did that with Swift. This is the Swift maneuver taken to the next level. Microsoft saw what Apple's doing with Swift, and this is all to the next level here. PowerShell has to be open source. It has to be available for Linux. It has to be available for macOS for them to reach their goal here of making Windows 10 the ubiquitous developer oh, platform. Okay, okay, sure. Like, the, but in the specific case of PowerShell, like I actually think .NET Core is very good. Mm-hmm. Every time I've played with it, you know what? I, I've been thinking a lot. You know, C Sharp is a language that, while it's not, you know, it doesn't hit that sort of orgasmic level of joy that Objective-C gives me. <laughs> of course. But it also doesn't make me want to cry in a basement like Swift. So it's, it's right there, right? Like, it, it's just right in the middle. <laughs> so, so I could see myself, and I have been writing a lot of C-sharp. I, at no point in this process did I say, you, you know what would complete this, uh, this great Satya Nadella Sunday? PowerShell. Right. I happily open Bash every time. Even on Windows, right? Like, well, so it was, I think it was more obvious to us on this show when they open source.net. This is a continuation of that same strategy, I think. And when they open source.net, I don't think – I think there's more people using .net now than there were when they open source. Like it has been good for .net to be – like it's been beneficial for the adoption of the language. No, I think that's, I think that's absolutely true, right? I mean in, in a lot of ways – the biggest thing holding the .NET platform back was that it's Windows, right? And mm-hmm. that you have to, or, or you desperately cling to mono. But I don't think anybody. Well, really it, it depends on the lens you're using. It's it's the it's one of the greatest things about it, and it was one of the most limiting things about it. And now that's been removed, so it's still great on Windows. But those limitations in the past have been removed now. 
And that's the key thing is it's still great on Windows. Uh, it's at the benefit of the developers who have invested all of their time and energy into the Windows platform that these tools are going open source and going cross-platform because a skill set that they use on their primary platform is available in other places now. And they don't have to go learn Bash. They don't have to go – I mean this is my theory. As a non-PowerShell user, I've, I've literally played with it on a couple of occasions and went, mm, OK, I, I, I kind of see what they're going here. Uh, going back to bash now and that's been the extent of it so i i admit i could be missing something here but to me it feels like it's this it's this really clever strategy where you you put a couple of pieces in line you line a few things up and then you just continue down that path and iterate on it which is what they're doing with net i think it's going to be the same thing they do with powershell it's the same thing they're doing with the subsystem for linux it's 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 becoming an overwhelming momentum because when it was just one project when it was just net or when it, when it was just Visual Studio Code, or when it was just the subsystem for Linux, it's an interesting thing to observe. But in combination now, it is a large amount of momentum coming from Microsoft in this open source develop, very much going after developers. No, I agree with that, right? I, I, so so I, I guess where, I, where I'm getting confused in your argument is, is the point to like, convert me from primarily using a Mac and, and my Galago at home to use Windows 10? Yeah. Or is the point to like right. stop me from using Heroku and get me to use Azure? Or both. I mean, it could. I guess it could be both, right? Yeah, you know, I've always found with Microsoft, there's usually, if you really look at it and distill it down, there's three to five core motivations that they line up. And once three or three, you know, it's like, it's like these different business groups inside. Once enough of them line up that this project aligns with their interest, yeah, it clicks into place, and so it's always hard to just say it's just one thing because I n- I don't think it ever is with Microsoft. I think there's a lot of people that come to the table, and when enough of them click on something, then they move forward. So you, it is it is in part a move against Heroku and to lock in Azure. It is a move in a part to stop the bleeding to Mac OS and Ubuntu, but it is also a move in a part to just lock in their existing dark matter developer base and give them even better tools. So that way, you're sitting on the Windows platform going, I can see marked improvement here. And in a lot of ways, that's all it really takes. If the tool set that you use, if you can see it's markedly getting better, every year or so, some interesting developments happen, and now you see Microsoft taking some bold moves, it sort of is um, reassurance to just keep on keeping. I, I guess I do buy that. So, so it's... It's it's everything, and which yeah. makes sense because they're a gigantic company with right. lots of motivations. Right. But but I will say like some things. Like this happened literally today, Chris. I, I'm I'm on my Mac. Um, the Microsoft Bot framework has gone on, is going under a major, let's call it upgrade. That the end of March, the version I've been using uh, will no longer be available. So I'm in a pretty tight get or done kind of uh, cycle here. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> and because of because of various complications, and it's basically like something of a rewrite. Um, which I'm not super thrilled about, but because of just like the way we are currently like structured, we have more C sharp talent than, than like deep JavaScript. Mm. So it might make sense to do these additional components and this, this kind of branch off version in C sharp. So I'm like, okay, well we already have visual studio for Mac, you know, let's just, everybody's using basically a Mac here. Let's, let's do that. And, oh, you can't install the project template in Visual Studio for Mac. And there is a dude on GitHub who has some, like, hacky way around it. But it, it it's one of those things that... Yep, it's already getting it, annoying. Yeah, and it's like, okay. 
or you could just run VMware or like one of the spare Windows machines and do it that way, yeah. which is like the the totally pragmatic thing to do. Like I could whip out my HP and or like you know VMware or hell even boot camp. But if you had to, yeah, I just don't have enough hard drive space on my Mac. Ah, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's a whole other thing. Well, just pop a new. Oh, that's right. No, yeah, well, CC. Um, but it seems like okay, they're embracing the Mac, they're embracing Linux, they're embracing Bash. C Sharp is becoming a pretty dominant language for us here, which is interesting. Um, and I would actually say good. But then you hit these weird hurdles where it's like, yeah, except for it's almost like the most favorite son problem, right? Where we love the Mac users, we love the Linux guys, you know, but Windows is our first baby, right? And they get it first. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of a, I mean, Apple does the same thing, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm waiting for the hammer to drop, right, with Swift. And I would almost argue that Apple's a little more aggressive because when they deprecate versions of Swift, they deprecate it really hard. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we're getting a little lost here, but it's interesting to see them do all these different things. I think they're on the right track. Um, I'm just wondering at what point particularly Visual Studio for Mac, at what point will that be able to, you know, get to parity where it doesn't have to have that for Mac moniker, right? This is, so this is an interesting question, isn't it? Because uh, did you see that they just recently announced uh, that they're rebasing Microsoft Office for the Mac and Microsoft Office for Windows off the same code base and they're going to enable collaborative editing across the two? Yeah, I did, which is interesting. It's, it's, good, it's good to see. I mean, that should have probably happened a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Right? But that could be the beginning there where um, – I mean if they're doing it with Office, the, the, the thinking there could be um, – because the thing about Office is it's sort of like its own its – own, not company, but its own uh, – Fiefdom. Fiefdom, yes. Yeah, that's a good – yes. It's, a good, it's its own fiefdom inside Microsoft and <clears throat> as we've covered in the good old Windows RT days, they can make or break some products within Microsoft simply by their willingness to be, comply. And the sign is – I think the message here is we're starting at the top. We're going after one right. of our bread and butters and we're going multi-platform here. That's going to be interesting to watch and you may see that trickle down it, 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 because it's not like they're starting small. They're starting with one of their biggest things, one of their most political things um, and that may lead to massive retooling down the road for a lot of other tools that – that we talk about on this show. It could be, and it seems like where they'd have to go, right? I mean, eventually they have to break away. Don't they eventually have to break away from this win 32 NT base eventually, or can they just keep revving this thing for another 30 years? I, I honestly don't know. So I don't know the answer to that. Right. And, and that, and that's a pretty, I mean, if you want to parallel them to, uh, let's not say to Apple, but let's say, I mean, really, any any of the big platforms. Even I would even say Canonical, right? I would even say Ubuntu. And, and actually, maybe it's worse. In a lot of ways, I like Apple and Microsoft have a lot of legacy behind them. And you know, even like when I'm working on my HP, I can tell which programs in Windows have not been updated oh, in quite some time. Yep. Yep. I mean, to, to the point of like, if I, I have a high DPI monitor and it's barely legible, right? Yep. Um, where I is that is that really bad? I don't know. With I any, mean, I would certainly prefer that things worked in a 
more elegant, succinct way and that I didn't have to think about. Like The, the oh, advantage, though, is that the tools often might not be as pretty or as modern, but they're fully baked in a way that uh, Linux users don't often get. And definitely, I think the same on the Mac. You don't get this level of this just does everything really well. I don't know how to describe it exactly because that's not – a that's not, do, you, do you follow what I'm trying – like not having – to be able to go 15 years and not have to throw out the code base can be a really, really good thing. It can be a really bad thing but it can also be – it can also be a, a sort of an amazing luxury that almost no right. other platform developers have. I mean there are – I mean – yeah, but and most major companies, even my, you know, even like mid-sized companies, have Windows applications that they had done a long time ago, and are still running. Right? I mean, how many times have I come across someone to mention on the air that's like running some huge enterprise function on Access? Absolutely. Um, yeah. The other thing is like you know I would prefer not to work in Windows at all, but it, it, the, the reality of the situation is most companies I engage with have something in windows and i at some point need at least a windows vm absolutely to be able to see what's going on so it's it's not like i mean i guess that's how you define success ubiquity is success right so you take that fact this sort of undeniable market penetration where even all linux shops usually have a windows box or a windows vm somewhere and you combine it with this unbelievable momentum towards developer focus and open source uh, the windows source code itself is using GitHub these days. They they overlay a file system on top of it, but they actually have – it's the largest project on GitHub is Windows. They have SQL Server for Linux now. They have all of these things we talk about constantly. There's um, <clears throat> there's a real force to be reckoned with. They are – they're going to be a continued powerhouse in the developer community for as long as I can see. They've, they've really locked themselves in now as one of the most five powerful companies. Well, and I would give them a little bit of credit here. They've done it by getting a lot better, right? Like yeah. Azure's really, really good. Now, there was that uh, that performance benchmark done where AWS Lambda's apparently relatively faster in most cases. But the ease of getting started is particularly – I'm thinking more of new developers who are like in college right now. You know, if somebody hands you when you're 19 years old $300 of Azure credits, well, you can make that go a long way. And I'm I'm wondering if we're not. Can I make a crazy prediction? Yeah. Egon, get ready to write this down. Will 2020, if we're still doing the show, which I'm sure we will, be from Redmond, uh, Washington, <laughs> live from the Microsoft campus? Live. <laughs> will Azure overtake AWS, and will we see a Microsoft resurgence for all the hot, you know, new startups? Hmm. It seems like a long shot, i got to be honest. The only way that could even be possible is if they just saw a massive adoption of on-premises uh, customers, right? Because that's where they're just... Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, really? I mean, it's, it's possible. Yeah, hmm. I, I think it could be... I, I think it could be a little more than uh, just on-prem, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I mean, if you think about it, they get that... You would think they would have a better insight into that customer base than Amazon would. I mean, Amazon's got so much, so much experience in the business now. They've, it just seems like that's no longer a thing. But if you were, if both were to start at square one today, it, Microsoft seems like they would have a better understanding of how the enterprise works and how servers and what server customers expect than Amazon, a company that was at the time selling books. 
So I don't, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't have pegged it this way. So it's hard to predict. It's hard to bet against old Jeff and Amazon because, uh, boy, if he isn't wily and uh, pulling it ahead. Old Jeff's not shy about cutting prices down to the damn bone, too. So yeah, somebody, that's true. Yeah. yeah, and Azure now built into your Amazon Prime subscription. <laughs> Jeez. You know, maybe one day, maybe one day, if they're really trying to get developers on board. All right, we still have more to get to, including uh, owning up to uh, uh, Egon and our predictions, as well as a couple other things that I hope we have a little time to get to. So let's take a moment right now and thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Mike and I have been using DigitalOcean how many years, Mike? I mean, what, four years? Yeah, I think when I log into my dashboard, I think it says four years now, which seems crazy to me that I've had servers on DigitalOcean for four years. Wow. I can I can comfortably say I have, I have had a great experience in those four years. Go over to DigitalOcean, create your account, and then use a promo code, CODERDIGITAL. That'll give you a $10 credit, and it supports the show. It's a cloud computing platform that's built with simplicity, so you can get started super fast. It makes managing infrastructure very easy. If you're a business with a 1 to 10 systems or you need thousands, DigitalOcean will work for you. It gets out of the way and gets you started. You can deploy applications with zero effort, or you can build a system from just the base up predictable pricing it's scalable it's reliable definitely reliable 99.99% uptime with SLA for all services they have alert and monitoring services built in as well network level firewalling so you can do firewalling in the dashboard and it applies those rules at the network level so the traffic never even gets to your box they have private networking for great backend infrastructures and backup check that out tons of OSs to choose from you can do clustered deployments you can use some of their uh, scalable storage solutions like block storage that make it easy to add more disk when you need it. Private networking is my favorite feature. I'm going to give it another mention. And, of course, I guess I shouldn't say favorite feature. Private networking is my favorite little hack of DigitalOcean. Uh, if you dig into it, you'll find out that the, it doesn't count against your transfer. It's a great way to put like a front-end Nginx box and then put some systems on the back-end. Or it's a great way to throw a Bacula box on your back-end and back up your systems. I just love it. They also have baked-in backups to the DigitalOcean dashboard, which I use on a couple of our systems because it's just such a nice peace of mind. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there, create your account, and use our promo code, CoderDigital, and check out their new pricing. Unbelievable now. It's you. What you used to get. Uh, so for five dollars a month, you used to get five twelve megs of RAM. Now you get a gig. For ten dollars a month, you get two gigs of RAM. For my favorite system, three cents an hour. You now get four gigs of RAM, two CPUs, and eighty gigabytes of storage for three cents an hour. <laughs> DigitalOcean.com. Everything's SSD based with data centers all over the world. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code Coder Digital over at DigitalOcean.com. And thank you to them for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Now, we have some predictions to own up to. And the only way to do this right, of course, is we have to pay homage to the ultimate 4D chess player, the one who has vision, who can see forward years into the future and then pull the strings of society. Yes, we draw our predicting strength from the one, the only, Vladimir Putin. Yeah? <laughs> Throw us away! I'm sorry. Vladimir Putin, you Wow. <laughs> that might be Vladimir Lenin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is the appropriate music, of course, whenever we're playing 4D chess. 
Yeah, yeah. That's good, right? It's good. That's good. That's how. That's this is how we are able to uh, look into the future. So, I just want to just sidetrack here. If I get in that damn little room again because of you at the airport, <laughs> swear to God, this is why I drive everywhere. This is why. Now you know. Um, we got to start out with our favorite go-to. Is we continue to be nailing it with the Docker predictions, nailing it, uh, reviewing the tapes. Uh, everything we say about Docker is always one hundred percent correct. Yeah, basically. Basically, is that's actually it. It's been good. It's been a good ride. It has been a the Docker thing has been a good ride for this show. Um, now uh, we have a long history of well, at least one of us does of also oh. not always nailing it. <laughs> um. And that would be Mike's call on pro-level tablets, WinRT, iPad Pro. The dream just hasn't panned out on that one. Oh, as much as the good Captain Lorca would have me think that he's going to do very cool stuff from his tablet, tis not the case. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you have to have it integrated into your chair for it to be a success. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. It's the chair factor. <laughs> so um, I'm, glad that, I'm glad the one that you called out, uh, the trend that you called out, that we've, we've covered sort of – just un- unknowingly it's just been something that's been weaving in and out is remote working and uh, of course it, we really got into it when uh, marissa meyer uh, which worked out famously uh, recalled all the troops back to yahoo but in the meantime you and i also personally in our businesses went through no 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 everybody's got to be local everybody's got to be in-house and then went back to uh, well actually um remote works pretty good i can do some i can do some mix of local and remote where do we stand though? Like, did we did we blow this overall? Do you feel like you blew it a little bit trying the no remote thing completely, going hard on that? Um, I feel like it was solving the wrong problem. Oh, so yeah, let me. So, so maybe it would help because I'm not entirely sure where you are now. This would be because I actually just posted on Medium for the Matt Boderick uh, Medium account uh, what our current model for remote work is, and it's a hybrid model where we have a core team on site in Florida and then we have remote people in various parts of the United States. Um, the core team doesn't come in every day and it's kind of a three, two, three in, two out, two in, three out, depending on need, right? Like in December, Hmm. everything sucks in December. So there's no point, but in, you know, in the heavy times, certainly we could all come in. I think this has worked is working. The kinks are still being worked out of it a little bit. Um, I still do think that there's value in a centralized HQ, particularly for functions like uh, business development, right, and product management. But I don't think it's worth paying the increased rent and increased, uh, basically, pain in the ass on hiring people to Jeez. go 100%. This is 100% where I'm at right now. You are nailing my – we have some in, some out, sort of a hybrid model, and uh, our rent well, – it's not rent, it's the mortgage – is going up 700 and change a month. And now it's like, do I even need this? Should I just bail on a physical location? $700 well, a month is almost yeah, like the cost of another place. Yeah, that's significant, yeah. So, yeah, this has the remote work thing. I think I'm back on board with more than in the past. It's it's also it's also just sort of easier because some of the people that are like like the beard now is working remote. And so he and I have worked in the same building for years. So it's a little bit easier to work remote with somebody when you've worked with them in person for a while, too. So I think meeting up is kind of a I think if I could if I could like just add uh, 
$20,000 to the Jupiter Broadcasting budget, it, it would be for team meetups to get people together more, the whole team together more. I think that would really sort of uh, be good for everybody. You know, if like yeah. you and Wes could hang out together sometime, and you know, and um, uh, in, in physical space, not just while talking during a show. Right. No, and that, and that I mean, that's something that, you know, we have a, we still have someone in New Jersey. I'm trying to fly him down at some point, um, hopefully in February, because there, there is something there. People go more in. People get more motivated. They put more of themselves, right. they're more of skin on the game once they've met the people and they've formed relationships. Uh, yeah. And it's palatable every time we get a lot of people here for Linux Fest Northwest. Like we get like I feel, a boost I feel the out same of it. way. Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, I mean, having said that, I now work in the office five days a week because I have a 20-month-old at home, and he yeah. has destroyed a couple DOS keyboards already. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that that's a problem, of course. Like, not everybody and, – and I think this is kind of the problem I was solving incorrectly when I went all Marissa Meyer on it hard. Some people are not suited to work from home. And it's not like a negative thing against them. It's just it requires a certain like mindset. Um, and it, it does require like some sort of environment that's conducive to that, right? Like if you have little kids running around the house, I mean, I, I do. I, I can't imagine working from home five days a week anymore. I I, I tried it again and it, it was just, you know what? Because a 20-month-old doesn't understand. Yeah, right? even, a, even a three- or four-year-old doesn't. Um. Right. Or a so five or six-year-old. And sometimes the kids come to visit the studio for a few hours and, uh, you know, they just want to play. And they're excited to be here. And they're yeah. excited to see us. So they don't, you know, and, and then you have that, that guilt when they, well, Dad, won't you play with me? Come on, yeah. Daddy, I, I want to play. I'm like, oh, my gosh. How many more years? There's only a couple more years. Even, you know, in the grand scheme, there's only a few years of their life they're even going to ask me to do that. So then I, I feel like. I get the car keys. Peace out, Dad. Yeah. yeah, 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 and then it's like then they're yeah they're going to get to a certain age where they're you know they're too busy to talk to me they don't they don't want they don't have anything to do with me so I can't say no to that it just you know it's too I'm, tempting <laughs> yeah same but it's too tempting and then you're working at two a.m. to get a build out in my case or you're yeah. probably editing a show yep yep <laughs> so, so I don't know did we blow it did we get it I, I I'm going to say that we get a pass on this one because everybody so far has blown it. Yeah, it really is one of the most challenging things. Um, right. Yep. All right. Very good. So uh, I'm going to say um, it wasn't a huge way out there prediction for me to make. It's not like I'm some uh, um, you know wizard, but uh, uh, I was uh, I was pretty bullish uh, at the beginning of last year. I went back and listened to uh, the episode that. I, oh shit! I forgot the number, but it's, we published it like January seventh or something of 2017. It was our first New Year's episode. And uh, we talked about it last week. And in there, I was pretty bullish on the lady tubes and the, getting the lady tubes integrated into TVs. Not that I think it's a great idea. I want to make sure that's clear. Uh, that I think the industry thinks it's a great idea. And uh, I was pretty clear that it was going to be a development opportunity to me for certain people to create skills. And Google Assistant would grow. And um, I think that's all pretty much bared out in the last year. Yeah. And I've even ended up getting more lady tubes. I did not know this until last week. I bought a TV about a month ago. It has uh, the Google Assistant in there. Yeah, yeah. My my and, NVIDIA Shield TVs have it built in, and it works actually fairly well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's all pretty decent, really. Uh, it's getting it's basic in some regards. There's times that I I find it to be choresome to 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 like interact with it. Right. But uh, uh, boy, is if this is just the beginning of this product category, is it going to be really interesting? My my dream 
would be, imagine a scenario where, uh, you know, microservices for the win, my lady tube is here in the studio and say you and I have to reschedule a show. Something comes up mm. and I just say, hey, lady tube, reschedule Coda Radio with Mike. It, it has access to your, you know, it's like you shared it with me. It has access to your calendar. It finds an open slot. It gets your lady tube to prompt you and say, hey, Mike, would uh, would uh, 3 p.m. on Thursday be a good time for you to record Coda Radio this week? You just say yes to the tube. And it's all taken care of. It's automatically put together. Uh, I, you know, you could even say, "Hey, LadyTube, uh, add a reminder to that meeting that uh, I needed to go back and review our predictions." And all of these—that's where I think this could go. And it doesn't feel like that's more than just a few years off, really, to get there. And then these no. things are genuinely useful, even if you don't have any smart devices to control. Right. I uh, no. I mean, I've been I've been working on a, and I've tweeted this, so I hope you don't care that I say it. I've been working on a simple. Uh, Alexa, can I say that? Alexa skill for the show. And I did not know they had an app review for that. Good to know. Oh, interesting. I guess that yeah, makes they sense. Do, they do some sort of review. Um, and then I was I was digging into the documentation. And the recently released, uh, I think it's like Amazon or she, she Who Shall Not Be Named at Work, is that looks like if they actually clean that up a little bit and, and dig into that, that uh, Alexa is going to be more and more powerful going forward. You just say echo. Dude. You don't have to say the A word. Then it doesn't oh, trigger. That, I thought the other one triggered it. God damn. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's it. You know, if people – I watched an SNL or no, I, I was watching something on TV last night. It was just triggering it like crazy. So it's it's something that we're going to have to come to some it's sort getting- of – this week in Google triggers my home all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the skills angle is still yet to really bear out fruit for developers. But there are things that I think people are using these tubes for that are pretty useful. Um, when, and it's mostly consuming like news and audio podcasts and uh, getting other kind of updates. It's There's a pretty cool function where you can stack a briefing and get a pretty nicely tailored – uh, uh, news feed and it's you know while you're so what I do is while I'm getting ready in the morning I say hey Echo what's new and it says here's your flash briefing first thing it does is it runs through the weather and then I get I get news from the New York Times from Fox News from NPR from my local uh, CBS affiliate then it gives me Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency statuses and I can I can I can I sometimes add other things like tech headlines in there depending on the week um and uh, it's it's just if I bought it and it only did that for thirty bucks, it would be worth it. Mm-hmm. And so everybody will find a couple of little things that these things do over time, and they begin to do more. Um, I think I think it is gonna. I think twenty eighteen will be it'll be even a larger market. And boy, has Apple blown it. Yeah, I Siri is just looking worse every day compared to uh, Echo and uh, Google. I mean, just just having the Google Assistant in my TV, you know, I'm a big soccer fan. But one problem with watching soccer in the U.S. is finding a game is a huge pain in the ass because they, they tend to be aired at weird times and on different channels on cable. But somehow my TV knows about that and can, like, tell me what networks it thinks the game is on, Yeah, I, which I, is actually, like, super – Helpful. I find it's useful to use it to search across multiple like streaming services or yeah. things like that. That's kind of a handy thing. There are some surprisingly, and I'm a, I'm a minority in this. There are some things that I that Siri does better for me 
than any of these other services do. Uh, like specifically, uh, I can't – if I were to say, hey, Echo, what's the wind speed in Mount Vernon, Washington? It would give me the weather and it would never tell me the wind speed. It would just give me the forecast. Um, but I can specifically ask Google Assistant or Siri – what is the wind speed in Mount Vernon? And then what's interesting is the different assistants, they structure their responses differently. And some of them are more efficiently structured. They give you the core information. Like, so if I say, hey, Siri, what's the wind speed in Mount Vernon, Washington? It will start with the wind speed in Mount Vernon, Washington is currently 13 miles per hour. Whereas if you ask the Google Assistant, it'll say it is currently sunny, and and then it, and you know and then it just displays on the screen what the wind speed is. So the and then the Echo doesn't even answer the question at all. I mentioned that very annoying specific scenario simply to demonstrate that there the neither of them is perfect. So there is still room for competition, but it seems like if you combine uh, if you combine how far ahead the Google uh, Assistant is. And the penetration that Google's actually successfully seen with hardware partners. How many times have we seen a Google announce, we're going to be in XYZ, Android TV XYZ will be integrated into television sets in, in 2015. And then it right. never happens. And it didn't happen. But this yeah. is actually happening. And then, uh, you, then you look at the Echo market, the skills thing is really happening. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of them now. There is eventually going to become a path to monetization. It seems inevitable if they want these things to get better. And they're working on them with some of them. And Apple hasn't even shipped yet. And Mycroft hasn't shipped anything really yet either. Oh, I was waiting for someone to say the M word. Yeah, I think there's yeah. still – I've gotten hints that there's some stuff coming from them soon. So I don't count them out completely. Yeah, so have I. I still have high yeah. hopes. But my take on it is that uh, at this point, not even Apple could crack the market, let alone an open source startup like Mycroft. Well, yeah, I mean, so the Google devices – First of all, Google is integrating with everything. I mean, if if you bothered to read CSS coverage, which I have to be honest, CES, CSS is yeah. CES, whatever. No, I prefer CSS, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my – give me a blink tag and we'll be good to go. Um, <laughs> Google was like, you got, you have a piece of hardware, toaster? Let me integrate with that. Coffee maker? We're in there too, right? Like Google is just going for it. Yeah, so same though with Echo. It even got integrated into toilets this year. I mean light switches now have the uh, Echo's some functionality built in with a little blue ring on them. They're going all in with the integration. Yeah, I mean the monetization story, right now it's Uncle Jeff is kind enough to write you a check based on some metric that is not clear. Um, I would like to see something like an open marketplace. Hmm. It doesn't look likely, but I, I think you're right that long term, uh, the ambient computing, which is what this really all is, right, is going to be uh, really important. And also as automation continues to grow, the combination of automation, and ambient computing, I think is going to be it's going to be another five to ten year story. Yeah, so. I think so. Um, and I hope and it's it's not looking good that we don't just get mobile 2.0 in terms of uh, ecosystem lock-in and app stores, which we seem to be trending to. I think we are. But is So having played now with the, some skills, uh, writing a skill, is it possible for you to do – you, do you see a world where you have created the back-end infrastructure for a quota radio skill and it's, it's only writing like a, um, a little more of a front-end for it to work on the Google Assistant? Or do you see it would be a completely separate from from the ground up uh, project to now do this on the Google Assistant? Having written, having tried, having messed around with the skill for the so, Echo. So the way I'm doing it is I'm using the SD, the uh, the Echo, what's called the other thing SDK, and AWS Lambda. I, so I'm actually going down the path that Amazon recommends because I just want to like see what that experience is like. That's what I would do too. Yeah. 
in, in reality. The so way so that is this, pretty locked in then to the uh, right. To, well, of course they recommend you do it the locked in way, right? In reality, one could use a middleware framework such as like the MS Bot framework or API.ai or any of the other like. There's about five good ones now, and uh, and yeah, then you can hit multiple platforms. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. But th- hmm. there's a big asterisk there, right? It's like cross-platform isn't mobile or, mm-hmm. or isn't mobile right when it came out. It's like you can totally hit the platforms. But, like, I have a problem with, like, hero cards don't render right in Slack for me for some reason. And it looks like I need to add some, like, tweaks that are Slack-specific to hero cards, right? So we're we're at the phase in the maturity of these frameworks where – Yes, you can use them to try to hit multiple uh, endpoints for your bots or your skills, but don't be surprised if on that la- that last mile, so to speak, you're doing a bit of okay. you know individual work. That would be my kind of a current expectation too. All right. Yeah. So, were we discussing the potential that developers may have to go through some sort of licensing process for certain types of? So we were. So I was listening to the last few year end uh, and, and year beginning shows, and. We were pretty concerned uh, after healthcare.gov got screwed up. Oh, and there's a lot of heat. A lot of heat around that. On the developers in particular around that. On the developers, right, and about that this is unlicensed, if they were building a bridge. I mean, it was one of those things that was on Fox News, right? Like, you you know, you need to – that has thankfully died down. But I I think all it's going to take is one more major public project – and I think we're going to hear it again, right, where where software developers, you know, people will be pushing for them to be licensed. And I've heard actually heard it a few times on uh, a number of uh, news radio programs and, and, the, and TV in relation to bots, as in like AI bots, like software bots, but also robots, right, that these should be licensed and the people who work on them should be licensed. So it is coming back, again, fear of automation, right? Mm. Licensing for developers, as long as it doesn't come to podcasters. <laughs> wait until you're paying an FCC license. I can't wait. Oh, oh man. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the general trend of the commoditization of developer jobs seems to continue, doesn't it? It does in, in, in many, many forms. Uh, and I think we basically hit this one out of the park, right? The abuse of the H1P visas has not stopped <laughs> at all. Uh, remember after we made that prediction, Disney a year later did that massive layoff where they basically laid off their, uh, their California and Florida based developers or in large numbers they did and hired, uh, That's right. uh offshore developers. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's. That is, and, and I would also argue that the PWAs and a lot of the HTML5 frameworks are another version of this kind of thing, where basically the market is settling on the cheapest possible uh, and acceptable solutions for things, which is another form of commoditization, if you think about it. Well, um, I wonder if there is a general trend to pull from all of this, like something to sort of – like when you look at it with the 50,000-foot view, several you, several years being reviewed here – what yeah. do you draw from this? Well, before I give you that, I slipped another one in the dock during oh, you the did. show. Mm, okay, all right, okay. The Mac Exodus and Year of the Dev Linux Desktop, Tris. Did, did we talk about that at some point? That doesn't sound like us. That doesn't sound like something we'd ever talk about. <laughs> we never talk about that. Um, and we don't agree on this yet, right? You're, you're still pretty, pretty gung-ho on 1804. 
I think it I think it has a pretty good shot of being the the largest growth area for developer workstations. Okay. Um, I you think you think not? You think the ship has sailed? Yeah, I think the opportunity is more or less been squandered um unless apple really i mean all signs point that they're going to make concessions towards what's you know but then look at the imac pro and the fact that it's still it's still a compromise i know you've been looking at it i mean you haven't pulled the trigger right no i have not pulled the trigger. and why is that it's not a clear win right it's not an easy <laughs> win it's a kind of win it, it, it's a win ish right it's not a clear win um yeah i mean that's basically it i don't um it's an expensive solution that probably doesn't need to happen for me just yet see you're you are not the minority i think this is a super common position and i think there's a lot of people who aren't willing to pull the trigger on that cost and i'm not saying it's unfairly priced either i'm just saying i think that's the reality and then there's the compromises of an all-in-one for what should be a five to even ten year developer workstation, if possible, depending on what your workload is. I, I guess I point this out not to say that the Linux is going to explode because Windows 10 is getting more competitive, but I think there's still room for a particular market that can tolerate a certain rough edgeness, if you will, um, that uh, I think it's going to be a good year. I don't think it's going to be the year, but I think it's going to be a pretty good year. Unless I mean, something's think, bad with I, wrong with 1804. Yeah, I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think it's going to be a good year, but I wouldn't be surprised if over the next two or three years, Windows 10 makes up some of the losses. Because um, a lot of the developer losses were Mac gained from Windows, right? And, you know, you know when, when the whole hipster Mac thing started. And now I, I, I do think you're right to a point. Some like web developers, it really does make more sense for them probably to be on Linux just for the cost savings. But I wouldn't be surprised if we do see Windows kind of get Maybe. more prominence. Maybe. I think there's a lot Maybe. of people that are just done with Windows. You might be one of them. You know, it's you can see that they're doing well and you respect it. But at the same time, it's like I just I just can't really anymore. Oh, yeah. No, I, I would much rather like, yeah. So I think that's, I think that, you know, to that kind of market, I think that matters. You know, the, I had a sensation the other day, I sat down at one of our computers and I, I realized that my mood was getting worse when I was using it because just using the computer sort of pisses me off. I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't angry. I was just sort of stressed. I was like agitated. Uh, I just don't like using windows seven and it was a windows seven machine. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's just not for me. It's, it's a fine system. And in fact, I, I'm, I'm amazed the damn thing's running as well as it is, but, uh, Yeah. I, I just if I could only if I had just a few pennies to rub together and could only spend them once, I wouldn't want to spend it on a platform that drives me crazy to use. I'd want to spend it on the one that I enjoy using. Uh, but you're right. I think I think that's going to just be slow incremental change here, unless either one like Canonical if they blow 1804, or if the Mac Pro is a joke. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you what, High Sierra is a joke. I, I have a machine that I upgraded. It's a 2012 MacBook Pro. I upgraded it a bit ago, and now after the latest update, things get worse every time they do an update. Uh, now my cursor disappears after a while. And then I go – I, I, you, you, fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> and then I, I right-click, but then it goes away again. And, um, um, and I've, I, when you Google search this, you get Apple support form threads that go back to like 2012 of people talking about this, but it appears to also be just unique to High Sierra at the same time. Like it's a new one. I can't even. It's so frustrating. 
again, it's just there. Are, I really yeah. just think all computers are frustrating. That's why I was hoping the tablet thing would actually be a good way for me to get some work done. Because <laughs> I just never going to happen. I Chris. expect gonna, less. <laughs> we just can't have nice things. So the ten thousand foot. What can yeah. we draw from this? What do you think? Um, I I think if there's a lesson, because we tend to have people always, you know, like younger folks want to learn something. It's you, you especially looking back on some of the old episodes. I actually did listen to them. You really can't assume the current state is going to be the state in the future, right? So, like, there is a trend of you know, like the best rant I think we've ever done on the show was my Swift rant because it was classic, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, it's good. But that was re- that was really me being upset that like I had built this like little Objective C fort. And now I had to compete on a level playing field with everybody else, and I didn't like it, right? Um, I think some of the reason I'm probably a little more optimistic as far as Microsoft is concerned is because I'm I'm in a, still in a state of, like, you know, I've been jumping around a lot. And the reason for that is for the last year or two, I think we've very much been in a transitional period. Mobile is super mature. Web is super mature. PWAs are kind of a new thing, but they're really not right they're they're just not that new it's it's responsive design plus plus with now it responsive functionality basically mm. <laughs> so you know ar has kind of been disappointing yeah vr is not really happening unless you're in gaming and even then i don't think it's really happening <laughs> so you know i'm looking at bots i'm looking at ai and i'm thinking this is a new um kind of a new a new opportunity right you have to Think back, and if, if you're you know younger and listen to the show and you weren't there, no one thought the iPhone was going to be a big deal for developers when it came out. Yeah, good right? point. Good point. Web apps, so, have at it, kids. And I remember like when, when I picked up a MacBook and started doing iOS development, I had a friend who was like, why don't you just do like Windows? You could get a job. It'd be great. You know, I think sometimes, I, I guess the lesson would be over the last couple of years, you have to be willing to take a risk. And the industry is always consuming itself, right? It's always like mobile was big. Now mobile's commoditized. So you can do mobile. You can still do mobile, but you really should be looking for the next big thing, which is lady tubes, according to Chris. Well, I don't know about that. That's it's, it's a thing. It is definitely a thing. It, it seems like you're right. Bots, lady tubes. Uh, those are the thing that people might have a shot at making money at if they're starting today. Uh, I don't know though. I, because they are they are so reminiscent of their mobile cousins in the way that I mean they even have app review they have app stores there is it feels like there's less of a wild wild west kind of opportunity that there often tends to be and so I think the big area where people are really hyped about future money like where they think that's going to be a big source of future innovation that we don't talk a lot about is things that are quote-unquote blockchain-based or quote-unquote cryptos. You see a lot of talk around uh, like Telegram is doing an ICO, which is a which is a coin, initial coin offering. Uh, Telegram's doing an ICO to raise funds for their own unique cryptocurrency, which will be used internally in the Telegram app. And as a way, that'll be the way to pay for bot developers and pay for bot functions is using the Telegram crypto. And then, and then, the, then the bot developers cash out the Telegram crypto to their local currency. <laughs> I mean, this is the direction things are going with those kinds of things. So yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be a great future. It sounds really complicated. Yeah, I mean, blockchain as a technology, I think it's undeniable that it's that it's a big deal. But 
for use in currency that just I, I i don't see it i could just be wrong i mean i did think but, when rt was going to work so. well i mean i guess my point is though is if uh if, if you take if you set that area aside what's the area that people are talking a lot about that's going to generate revenue i think the the truth is it's going to be all of the all of the above it's going to be your traditional sources your your day-to-day jobs your black your dark matter developers your sort of uh unique opportunities maybe if some company comes along and they need an app all of a sudden those things will still exist but your 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 core um, sort of fiefdom, I guess, is let's use that term again. Uh, where you had is is you're right, it's gone, it's dissolved, it's it's they blew it up, they destroyed it, they made it easier than ever to do your job. They the world has been flattened for this exact kind of industry. It's like perfect for the flattening. It was begging for it, and they've taken right. advantage of it. And now people get now people are so crazy to make money that they're creating currencies and they're just doing all of this nut stuff to try to figure out a way for people to make money online it's it's uh, 2018's already kind of a nutty nutty year and it's just begun i mean if you think about it where we're going right now is completely insane people creating skills for lady tubes to lock you into entire ecosystems people that are creating fake currencies out of nowhere and generating millions we are going into some crazy ass times (laughs) Well, but this, so, so that's exactly my point. But you, as always, put it more uh, eloquently in that I think we're going into like another Cambrian explosion, right, in terms of technology, where there's going to be a lot of stuff that people try that's going to be, right. you know, in or hindsight. Hyped. It could be really stupid, right, in yeah. hindsight. You know, yeah. but like, listen, when we first talked about Docker, we had people right into the show, right? We had their, at the time, CTO on. And we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, now it's the standard for containerization, which wasn't a thing until Docker. <laughs> right. And the other and thing it, we got, too, was, well, there's already things that do that. There's no reason why this— Well, I would just use Puppet. Right? Like, we got a whole list of, like, weird—why have my bash scripts, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. It, the whole point of the next thing is that you don't know, right? No one's going to be able to wake up and say— yeah, man, this uh, VR headset is going to work. How many, how many people have been a fortune developing for Oculus? And really didn't didn't yeah. do okay. Or you can right? be one of the richest companies in the world with one of the largest smartphone market shares and uh, you can say AR is going to be the next big thing. You can build a phone around it and it can go nowhere. Right, except for Pokemon. If you want to catch Pokemon, Which you, you could do, do before they got in on AR. Which you could do before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I think in a lot of ways, it's actually allowing a lot of different types of developers to do really interesting work. Like you, you no longer have to be, you know, I, I would I would take it a step further and say, there, you know, when mobile was dominant, it was just mobile, right? Everybody was trying to get into mobile. Now so many, there are so many opportunities of new technologies that are growing you just have to pick something. I mean, I'm still holding out hope for the tablets. I think we will eventually, eventually get high, uh, high data density, high productivity. You think we'll software. just come back around to it at some point? I think the day Apple flips is the day it happens. What do you mean flips? So right now, Apple's position is we don't you, we don't do productivity software on touch, really, right? And I'm I'm meaning in terms of uh, OS 10 or Mac OS, whatever. The day that happens, the day we see a touch MacBook, not because like the industry needs Apple to lead them, but the tech press, right? The people who, you know, inform a lot of these decisions do tend to follow Apple for like design guides. Oh, I'm, I see what you're saying. Once they once they say, yeah, you can do it. You can do a hybrid touch thing. Then it's going to open the floodgates. Right. Once there's a MacBook, and it, and it might not look like I have an HP Spectre on my desk here that like just like folds backwards. It might not look like that. It might be something you know that we can't imagine. But 
you know, if you can appear through the mycelial spore network anywhere, <laughs> that's true. That's great. That's true. And apparently, once it's in the network, it's always in the network. So you right, never really just, know where you're going to come out of the network, though. So I just, mean, you have to ride it. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, don't do it too many times in a row. In the meantime, though, you could always go over to Twitter. And, uh, Mike, where would they follow you in those places? At Jumanuko. Well, it's easy. It's straightforward. It's nice. Uh, you can follow me at Chris Elias. Oh, damn it. The show. Follow the show at Coder Radio Show on Twitter. I was thinking you and I, in some point in the future, ought to do like a live Q&A on that channel, on that, you know, Twitter account after the show. Like we just do one. Cool. Just to, you know, to get people over there and check out the new uh, Twitter handle. So I'm at Chris Elias, at Coda Radio Show. We'd love to have you join us live. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for that live time. We also have a Coda Radio chat room that goes seven days a week. It's at discord.me slash jupitercolony and then find Coda Radio in there, which is where we hang out during the live show. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. We'd help. We'd, we'd be honored. We'd be honored if you join us next week. Downloads live streams however you want to do it we'd be honored we'd be honored you can find the rss feeds over at the website thank you for coming here this week hope you have a great week and we'll see you right back here next monday here.